0: And they said, hey, we're going surfing. And I said, that's great. Uh, have a great time. And You're going with us. And I said, I, I don't surf. I'm, I'm a kid that just got transplanted into Long Beach from being in a farm, small farm town. I don't even wear sandals. I don't, I'm not fitting in to do this. And they're like, no, you're starting today. So they had a board for me and a wetsuit, and I went. And start off, well, fast forward through high school of surfing, every chance I had. Uh, Our youth pastor, my senior year of high school, had, uh, we'd kind of been begging for this, that he'd put on a surf contest for us in our youth group. We had a lot of surfers in our group, and we wanted, we'd beg for him to put on a surf contest. And so on May 30th, 1987, I was just before I was graduating from high school, we got to have our long-awaited surf contest. And the cool part was that there were trophies given out to those who placed well in this contest. And being me as a keepsake kind of person, I brought my surfing trophy that I won on that day when I took second place in this surf contest. You're going to love this. I mean, I love this. This has traveled with me ever since then. I treasure it well, my second place trophy. Now, what I don't like to have to share about my second place trophy uh, is that in my division of taking second, there were two people. There were other surfers in our group that were younger than me, but they were not in my division. So in the end, I took second place out of two people. Here's my trophy. So kinda I felt a little bit redeemed a few years later when at the same church that I grew up in and was serving in, I participated in the Bethel Grace Baptist Church water balloon toss contest and I took first place at the annual picnic that they had in the mid-90s. Of course, the footnote to that is everybody won first place that day. Yes. So as you can see, I can relate to our topic today on the topic of failure. Uh, There's one fact in life that is true for all of us, and that is is that we failed at one time or another. That's just reality. That's life. A Failure in your life may have occurred 30, 40, 50, 60, 70 years ago, or it may have occurred just 30 days or 30 minutes ago, because that's part of life, it's who we are. You might have failed in sports, you might have failed in academics, you might have failed in work, maybe there was a job promotion you were hoping to get that didn't come through, a pay raise, a job that you just would have dreamed to have had it didn't come through, and you feel like, man, I failed at that moment. Maybe it was a failure occurred in your relationships, maybe with work people that you worked with, Uh, maybe it was neighbors, maybe it was some friendships, and you feel like, man, they just just failed. Or maybe for some of you, it was a marriage. Maybe it was a kid, and you just look back, and I go, man, I I feel like a failure. Or maybe it's in uh, your character. In other words, you had stellar character, great integrity, until that event happened. And you still linger with that today and feeling like, man, I, it's like a trophy. It's up on the case. And if you footnoted it, you go, oh, that's the real kind of failure that happened on that day. As I said, there's one fact in life that's true for all of us and that we've all failed at one time or another. And that makes us human. And I thought about that and I thought, you know what? The people in the Bible are also human. <laughs> They're all human as well. Uh, famous people. Failed in the Bible, and you know what God said? Print it. I want their story to be told. I mean, if you look at it and you go where to? How far in failure do you need to go in your Bible before it happens? Page three, Adam and Eve. You look at Abraham who lied about his Sarah being his wife and said to someone, "He's she's my sister." Or you look at Moses, or you look at the three kings of Israel, uh, Saul. David, Solomon, failure in their life in all three of them. Then you jump ahead to the New Testament. You go, well, it's got to get better. Jesus is on the scene, right? And you just look at the 12 disciples. Failure, 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 all throughout the 12 guys. All of them failed at one time or another. And these were men handpicked by Jesus. And yet They failed. And except for Jesus, the one fact, as I said, that's true in life for all of us and for people in the Bible is that they've all failed at one time or another. And so if you're here and you've ever failed at something, well, maybe you're in the right place today. Because as we continue in our series, Knowing the Truth About Jesus in the Gospel of Luke, we come to probably the most well-known story of failure in all the scripture. We already could tell the story. You've been told the story. You could tell the story as well as I could as anybody. It's the story of Peter. And his failure. And and what's amazing to me as you look at this story uh, and and process this through is God said, I want that story to be told. Think about your stories of failure and imagine if God said, I want that story in print for the whole world to see for eternity. Really? Do we have to put that in print that everybody's now gonna know my failure, my greatest failures in life? God says, I want that printed part of this morning, we'll see why that's important. But this morning, what we're going to do is we're going to look at Peter's story. We're going to look at it in two parts. The first part is basically the part that's foretold that it's going to happen. And the second part is when it actually does happen, it's realized. And what I want to do with the first part is just help us understand failure from a standpoint of what was true for Peter is also true for you and me. And then the second part, what I want to do with our, as we look at failure and understanding failure is explore how we can overcome failure. No matter what the failure is, whether it's taking second place out of two people, or it's something that I would say, using the ocean analogy, is a lot deeper in the water that you like to keep below the surface that's buried there, and so no one would ever know. And if you've ever been with us, like as in last week, or actually, the week before and the week before. Then you know we've been in Luke chapter 22. It's been a while that we've been in this around the Lord's Supper. It's happening. And the last week we looked at verses 23 to 30, where we talked about and we saw that there was a dispute amongst the disciples about what? Do you remember what it was? The goat. Who was the greatest of all time? We looked at that. It was funny, that night on TV they did this thing about the goat on, on Sunday Night Football. I had to laugh. So Jesus said, if you want to be the goat, if you want to be the greatest of all time, something we looked at last week, then take the places of least authority, like the youngest, and take the place of least position, like a servant. And what Jesus did is he helped them see this, his disciples see this, because in humility, he served them. And we know about the story of him washing the disciples' feet and taking that position, that place, of lowest uh, common denominator in, in that society of that day in, of a servant. And what's interesting, too, is in Luke twenty two twenty eight, 28, uh, after their dispute, Jesus says, hey, I want to applaud you guys. In other words, what he said was, you have stood by me in my trials. You've been faithful, you've been reliable, you've been resilient, and there's an award waiting you. I want to reward you in heaven. And those verses at the end of that section we looked at last week talk about that. So it's with right there in that mind that we're kind of left hanging because we look at what happens next. Hey, you've been with me. You've been faithful. You've been with me. You stood by me in my trials, and there's a reward coming. Only I've got something to say to one of you, which is, takes us to our text this morning. If you've got your Bible, turn to Luke 22. Luke 22. That, oh, by the way, did I mention we're in Luke 22? We're still there. Hey, we're going to be in verses 31 to 38 uh, first of all this morning. Then we're going to look at the second part, as I mentioned in understanding and looking at failure and how to overcome it. But the first part here, Luke 22, verses 31 to 38. There's notes for you if you want to follow along, and uh, you might want to write a few things down today. Uh, I hope will be helpful to you. Verse 31, let's just read that verse there, and we'll stop, and we'll kind of just work ourselves through a few verses here in this section. So again, we, I just kind of set it up for where we were. So here they are at the, at the table, and he's told about this reward. And then he looks over at Simon, also known as Peter. But he says, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you as wheat. It's interesting. He uses the word Simon. Simon was, if you will, the pre-Christian name. And then when Peter got saved or was started being a follower, a disciple, that's what that means, a follower, a follower of Christ, his name was changed to Peter. And yet here he calls him Simon, Simon. So imagine if you've been told your new name, and that's been the name that's been used, and then your old name of your old life, if you will, is called out. That might get your attention, especially when he calls you out twice, Simon, Simon. And then he says that Satan has asked or demanded, it might be in your translation, It reminded me of the, the uh, discussion that goes on in Scripture in the book of Job and, and, and how that worked out for Job. And then it's interesting that Satan, since Satan fails to defeat Jesus, what does he do? Because we know that. We already know the end of the story for Jesus. But what does he do instead? If he can't beat Jesus, who's he going to come after? He's going to come after his children. Because those mean a lot to him, right? It's like if you're a parent and someone tries to hurt your kid, that gets your attention. And, and, and it's a way to hurt you as a parent. Well, the same way for us as children, it's a way to hurt our heavenly father. And so those who are his children are going to have this attack coming on. And it says here, Satan has asked to sift you as wheat. The word sift just simply means to separate. Not separate their relationship with God, but more or less separate their fellowship, the unity, that open communication where it's pure. And then what's also interesting here is the word you, and just this kind of focusing on to set this up, is the word you right here. Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you as wheat. Well, the you there is actually plural. And so at this moment, while he's saying this, maybe looking at Peter, when he says the word you, they realize, oh, it's all of us that Satan is after to sift us like wheat. Satan, though, is coming after you, Peter, in particularly. But look at what Jesus says in the first part of verse 32. But I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. Hence the title of today's message. It's interesting he puts this out here. And, but notice what Jesus says next in verse 32. And when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers, Let's read the whole verse altogether at once. But I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned back, in other words, when you have failed, strengthen your brothers. Are you catching this a little bit when you read this and go, wait a minute. You just said you prayed that your faith may not fail. And yet you say at the same time, when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. I thought Jesus' prayers would be answered. He's God, Right? So how could this happen? How, what's, what's going on here? What's this explanation for us? I mean, it's, it's interesting. Well, let's look before we try and figure that out by looking at what Peter says. Look at verse uh, 33. But he, Peter, replied, Lord, I am ready to go with you to prison and to death. Remember the dispute they'd had about the greatest. Clearly, he's the greatest in his mind because he's willing to go to prison or to death, if that's what it takes. That's one thing we can say about Peter is that the dude had courage. He, he didn't fail when it came to courage. Saying stuff, maybe, okay, but not courage, right? He had courage that was unbelievable. And so as you look at this, uh, look at what Jesus then says to him in verse 34. Jesus answered, I tell you, Peter, oh, there's that name, Before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times that you know me. Silence is in the room at this point, I'm imagining. Because they were wondering who it was that was going to betray Jesus, right? And they had a discussion, dispute about who is the greatest. And here they are sitting around this table. So again, going back to this verse... I pray that you may not, your faith may not fail in verse 32, and yet when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. So which is it? Which, which is it? Did he fail or did he return? And the answer is, it's both. He failed and he returned. He returned. You see, Peter will fail in being faithful to Jesus in a huge way. That night, and we know that Jesus prayed, uh, and, and and he prayed for that. This that his faith, though, would not fail. In other words, that his relationship with Christ would remain secure. And as we know later on through the New Testament, we know that that actually did happen for Peter. But speaking of remaining secure in their relationship with Jesus, Luke records some instruction Jesus has for his disciples, look at verse uh, 35, and then we'll wrap this up to, to verse 38. Then Jesus asked them, when I sent you without purse, bag, or sandals, did you lack anything? Uh, nothing, they answered. He said to them, but now if you have a purse, take it, also a bag, and if you don't have a sword, sell your cloak and buy one. It is written, and he was numbered with the transgressors, and I tell you that this must be fulfilled in me. Yes, what is written about me is reaching its fulfillment. The disciples said, "Uh, see, Lord, here are two swords. That is enough, he replied. This is an interesting little section here in these verses, and I don't have a whole lot of time to, to dive into this, but it does give us a little bit of clue of what's going on here in his instruction. When he talks about, hey, in verse, uh, in verse 35, when I sent you out, that's a reference to sending out the 12 and the 72. If you go back to Luke 9 and chapter 10, you'll see them send, being sent out. But when you look at this section here, um, on their mission trips, then they, they were sent out. Jesus' disciples at that point were relatively well accepted Because Jesus was the rabbi, the kind of new rabbi, a new way, and everyone was kind of like, we like this guy. He's healing people. Uh, He's incredible. And you're one of his disciples. Well, that was then. Now, the tables have turned. And society led by the the, uh, Sanhedrin, the the Pharisees, the Sadducees, all those guys are totally against him and rejecting him. And they're going to get the crowd to reject him as well. And so he's saying, things have changed now. The time of my fulfillment to do, to holding on to prophecy, which is what a reference there is from Isaiah 53, 12. This is what's about to happen. Things are going to change for you guys. You're not going to be seen with acceptance and favorability. And so the segment that gets probably the most interpretive attention is the instruction that Jesus gives to go buy a sword. Now, my son who's nine would like the idea of being told, go buy a sword, right? We have lots of those in our house. So what's going on here when he says this? I just wanted to say a couple comments on this, and we're going to move on. But when he says this, uh, he literally is telling him to go buy a sword. But the purpose of this is really where it gets the interpretive attention. Because if you're like Judas, you're wanting Jesus to attack and take Rome and have Israel get back into Israel control, right? And not have this occupation of Rome there. So let's pull out the sword. Let's go do this. But is that what he's saying? That's not what he's been talking about that he would be doing for the past three years. And yet these guys say, hey, we've got swords. And, 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 And then he says there, that is enough. Well, that could be interpreted as, oh, two swords, that is enough. But I take more of a different view. I take the view that he's saying, that's enough. It's one thing to go out and have people that are not going to be friendly towards you, to, to, to have a sword on you to self, for self-defense, but not to go out to take, take Israel back and conquer Rome. That's not what he's after. In fact, if you think about it, in Hebrews and other words, in Scripture, what's Scripture referred to as? It's referred to as a Sword, And what is it that we come to know Jesus by? Through the word of God that can cut to us and get us to know who we really are and who God is, right? And so he's laying this out there, and there's just a setting there that I just wanted to give some attention to as we go into this uh, passage here. Because it just sets up with where Jesus is and what he's telling him. But going back to these other verses that we looked at, particularly with Peter, It takes us back to this topic today on failure and understanding failure. What was true for Peter, I want to submit to you, is also true for you and it's true for me. Let me give you three facts. Number one, Satan is always active and always seeking to destroy you. Satan is active and always seeking to destroy you. Now, I'll put that out there and I'm sure some of you are going, man, I'm so glad I got up and came to church today to hear that. That Satan is active and he's seeking to destroy you if you're a child of God. And while Satan may seek to to physically destroy you through others, as verses 35 to 38 indicate, that's where that fits in for us this morning, Satan will usually, if not almost always, seek to destroy you spiritually, which is what 31 and 34 show us. And we'll see in a moment how he carried this out with Peter. You see, once you become a Christian, it's as though you changed your attire and put on a new shirt that has a target that says, Satan, hit me here. And that continues on for your whole journey as a Christian throughout your whole life. Because Satan is always active and always seeking to destroy you. We shouldn't be surprised at this, though, right? The Bible says in John 10.10, look at what it says. I put it up on the screen for you. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and what? Destroy. The Bible says in 1 Peter 5, 8, be of sober spirit, be on alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. What do we need to understand here about failure? What was true for Peter is true for you, which is what? Satan is always active in seeking to destroy you. He did that with Peter. He's gonna do that with you. He's gonna do that with me. We know that probably throughout our, our life in walking with Christ. Here's a second fact we need to know. Failure is an event, not a person. Failure is an event, not a person. So I give you the first fact that Satan is seeking to destroy you. You go, man, so glad I came to church today. But maybe this fact, when you read that and go, failure is an event, not a person. Oh, well, maybe I'm glad I got out of bed if that's true. That's possible. I like that a little bit better. You know, though, what we often believe? We believe just the opposite, don't we? We believe failure is a person, not an event. Perhaps in your growing up, you were told you were a failure. Maybe with what happened at work at some point, you're a failure. School, failure, sports, failure, whatever it is, maybe that's been what it's been for you. You've had so many of those events, they seem to seem, yeah, they seem like, oh, this is who I am. They're not just events. Maybe that's you today. Maybe that's where you are in processing that. I mean, if we ask, did Peter fail, we'd all say what? Yes. Is Peter a failure, though? At the end of the day, I appreciate a few of you believing that and answering no. Here's why. Look at Matthew 16, 18. Put it up on the screen for you. I also say to you that you are Peter. And upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. You're gonna have some events, but it's not who you are as a person. Maybe you need to hear that today. I and mean, if you look at Peter and you go to Acts 2 and you go, wow guy preaches a sermon, 3,000 people get saved. That's not a failure who does that. And if you go through and you look at the table of contents in your New Testament, you go, hey, there's a book called First Peter and a book called Second Peter. Despite this guy's failure, it, it seems that maybe that you will return then, Peter, to strengthen your brothers, to strengthen people like me years later. Let me ask you a question. You can answer this out loud if you want, but I'll understand if you don't want to answer this out loud. Have you failed in your life? (laughs) Let me answer the next question or put to this. Maybe you want to answer this one, even if it's hard. Are you a failure? Are you a failure? But man, is that hard. To take and actually believe that as truth. To go, yeah, I've got events where I failed, but I am not a failure. Here's where I go to find why I am not defined, why you are not defined as a failure. Galatians 4.7 says, therefore you are no longer a slave. In other words, no longer a failure, but a son. And if a son, then you are an heir through God. Another uh, promise for me that I see in 1 John 3 says, See how great a love the Father has bestowed on us that we should be called what? Children of God. And just in case you didn't get it, and such we are. You're a child of God if you've received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. God doesn't look at you and go, oh, this is one of the failures. No, you're a child of God, an heir of God, as it says here in Scripture. That's an important fact we need to keep in mind is that one. Let's move on to a third fact. Failure can be Satan's greatest weapon or God's greatest tool. Satan can be uh, Our failure can be Satan's greatest weapon or God's greatest tool. See, if you look back in verse 32, and when you have turned back, strengthen your brother's. In other words, Peter, you're going to fail really big tonight. This is what you're going to do. Tonight will be your greatest failure. So you can either let Satan work in you for the rest of your life as a failure and you, as a weapon against you, or you can use your failure as God's greatest tool. You have a choice to make, Peter. Let me ask you this question. How many of you believe you can raise your hand How many of you believe if you confess your sin to God, he will forgive you of that sin? How many of you believe that? Most of us. Okay, let me ask you this question. How many of you have asked for forgiveness for that same event over and over and over and over and over again? What I'm saying here is I'm not saying that you didn't sin again and again of that same whatever temptation. That's not what I'm speaking about. That's... that's A possibility what I'm speaking about is let's say in 1997 you did this whatever that sin was and you've asked for forgiveness when that happened maybe I don't know a day two maybe a month later whatever it was but what I'm asking you is how many times have we gone back and asked for forgiveness for that event again and again and again and again Have you been there? Why is that? What's the problem? We've asked for forgiveness, but for the most part, we probably, in some cases, haven't found the freedom from it. And it lingers with us on and on. Your past, if you will, follows you. You could be in here worshiping the Lord. You could be saying how much you love God and how exalted he is to be. And then it's like someone shows up like right here in your ear and says, you don't love God. Do you remember what you did back in 97? And you're in here worshiping as though you love God. Pff, what, you're, you're not fooling anybody. Or is that just me who's worshiped that way with that happening and processing it that way? You see, I got to think Peter experienced this too. Forgiven? Oh yeah, because God says so. But am I feeling that way? Mm-hmm. Sometimes. You see, when I look at a passage like 2 Corinthians 12, 9 and 10, and I look in what Paul shared with us, he said to me, this is in Paul's a thorn in his flesh, he said, my grace is sufficient to you. This is what God said to him. For power is perfected in weakness. So what's Paul's response? Most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore, I am well content with weakness and with insults and with distress and with persecutions, with difficulties. I might add in with failure. For Christ's sake, for when I am weak, then I am strong. What's the point here? Failure can be Satan's greatest weapon or what? God's greatest tool. We have a choice to make with this. But you might be wondering, well, how is this possible? How can I be strong enough to be like where Paul is? How can I be free enough? How can I overcome my failures? Well, to answer that, we've got to go and look at where this failure happens. If you've got your Bible still open, jump down to verse 54 of Luke 22. Then seizing him, Jesus, they led him away and took him to, into the house of the high priest, And Peter followed at a distance. But then when they had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat down together, Peter sat down with them. And a servant girl saw him seated there in the firelight. And she looked closely at him and said, this man was with him. But he denied it. Woman, I don't know him, he said. A little later, someone else saw him and said, you also are one of them. Man, I am not, Peter replied. About an hour later, another asserted, Certainly this fellow was with him, for he is a Galilean. His dialect gave him away. That's how she knew that. Verse 60, Peter replied, Man, I don't know what you're talking about. And just as he was speaking, the rooster crowed. The Lord, he's there. And he turned and he looked straight at Peter. Then Peter remembered the word the Lord had spoke to him. Before the rooster crows today, you will disown me three times. And he went outside and he wept bitterly. It's a story of Peter's failure and God said, print that for all of us to read today. I don't know if you caught Peter's Recollection, but look at verse uh, sixty-one when Jesus looks at them, and it says, "Then Peter remembered the word had spoken to him." How long ago was it that he spoke to him? If if we were to say, "Hey, it's been years since Jesus had spoke to him," we might go, "Oh, I remember back in whatever God spoke to me." How long ago was this that Jesus said this to him? Hours ago. Hours ago, man, it's so easy, isn't it, to to forget certain things that God tells us? I mean, how could he forget this? Jesus told his disciples, this is interesting, to to, to help us understand what should have been happening here. In Matthew 26, 31, uh, uh, that passage there, uh, Jesus tells his disciples to scatter like sheep and to meet him later on in Galilee following his resurrection, And when Jesus was arrested, John 18, 8, 9 tells us that he told the guards to let the disciples go their own way. Again, a clue to them to scatter, to not be present. But Peter, probably thinking he's doing the right thing by staying near to Jesus that night, sticks around. I mean, if someone told you you're going to fail and Jesus tells you that, you might want to like, okay, I got to make a strategy here how I'm not going to do this. Like, I should leave. As much as I want to be, I should probably follow. He said to scatter. Uh, he said, you know, let them go. Maybe I should go. Hmm, yeah, but he doesn't. He's hanging out, and he winds up in enemy territory in the middle of that courtyard, and he sits down and he hears three people ask him, "Hey, you're one of them, aren't you?" And he denies it three times. Perhaps you've found yourself in a, in a situation, a place, circumstance, a time where you fail to obey God's word, and then at some point you go, "Oh, that's right. I remember that what God said to me, I've been there' because that's true for Peter, it's true for you, it's true for me. Except for Jesus, there's only one fact, and it's this of life. It's true for all of us. We've all failed at one time or another. So the question is, how do we overcome? How can we overcome our failures? Let me give you four recovery steps to take. The first one is this. Be truthful, fess up to your sin. Be truthful, fess up to your sin. Every race has a starting line, and the starting line to overcoming our failures is to admit our sin, to admit our failure before God. That's what's going on here in verses 61 to 62 when you see here the Lord looks at Peter. Peter remembers what he says and tells him what would happen and then verse 62 and he went outside and wept bitterly. I can't imagine the look that Peter took in from Jesus' face. Can you? That's a hard look to take Take in. I can't imagine how long Peter wept over his failure. This first recovery step of being truthful and fessing up to our sin, it's, it's a difficult one. It's humbling. It's not easy. But when we're truthful and fess up to our sin, recovery can follow. Freedom can follow. Look at what God promises in Proverbs 28, 13. He says, he who conceals his transgressions will not prosper. But he who confesses and forsakes them will find compassion. When we look at five, uh, Luke 5, 32, we see who Jesus came for. I have not come to call righteous, but sinners to repentance. Why be truthful and confess up to your sin? Because that's what God instructs us to do, is to gain freedom, to be assured that your faith will not fail. A second recovery step is to be repentant and then ask for forgiveness. Peter's bitter tears in verse 62 are tears of remorse. They're tears of repentance. I can't imagine how hard it would have been for Peter to want to seek forgiveness from Jesus after he had convinced himself and tried to convince Jesus that he would never fail him, ever, whether it's going to prison or in death. When we look and we think about repentance, it's not only a 180-degree turn, it's a 180-degree turn and going and pursuing in a new direction. And that pursuit for Christians is to continue to pursue Christ. Peter failed Jesus that night. But you know what? Peter never failed like that ever again. He never denied Jesus for the rest of his life. His repentance continued onward. And when there's repentance, there's forgiveness. 1 John 1 9 tells us if we confess our sins, he's faithful and righteous to us, forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. 1 John 2 1 and 2 reminds us we have an advocate in Christ. A third recovery step to take is be discerning. Listen to God's truth about you, not Satan's lies. Listen to God's truth about you, not Satan's lies. As I thought about this, putting this message together, I thought, you know, if I had to take which step is the hardest for me, what one trips me up the most, I'd probably say it's this one. The recovery step I trip up on all the time seems to be because Satan, when he talks to me and speaks into my life, he sounds so truthful. Me being a failure sounds like, yeah, it's kind of reasonable. I've got evidence. I can't deny it. That's part of my past. And that's where I come back and I go, oh, that's right. Look at what Scripture says about Satan in John eight forty four. You are of your father, the devil. You want to do the desires of your father. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. Whenever he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own nature, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Ever forgotten that? (laughs) And I'm trying to discern God's truth from Satan's lies and go, oh, that's right. He's the father of lies. He can use truth, but ultimately he's a liar and that's how he functions. For me, I think about a football coach coming off the field one time after I'd made and failed to make the right play. And the anger of that coach and what he said to me that night 32 years ago, it's like it was just this past Friday night. And maybe that's for you. There's someone that comes into your life who can play that over and over and over and over again. And you listen to that and you go, "Oh yeah, maybe I'm not all that. Maybe I am kind of a failure after all." And so to help me be discerning between truth and lies, I have to practice what Ephesians 6:11 says, "Put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil." Oh, I have to do that. It's hard to put that on sometimes, because I think, "Oh, I'm good. I'm set. To look at it another way real quick is I I pulled out my iPhone this week and I thought, you know, I wonder how many playlists we have. We were working on playlists for uh, Friday night and Saturday night, uh, Matt and I were, and I looked at my phone and I discovered I have 121 playlists. What that simply means, if you don't have a playlist, don't have the iPhone, iPod or whatever, it just means it's a group of songs put into a list to play. That's all it is. As I thought about that, I probably play out of 121, maybe 20 of those most of the time. The others don't get used hardly at all. And I thought about that, and I thought, you know what? In my life, what's the playlist that gets usually played most often? It's the lies of Satan. When I think about my failure, and I go, oh, play that playlist. And he wants to play that one and play that one and play that one, as opposed to the other playlists that have God's truth of what I should be listening to. Have you been there with that, that playlist that plays over and over again? This is why we've got to be discerning, why we must listen to God's truth and not Satan's lies, is to gain that freedom so that our faith may not fail. The last recovery step is this one, be encouraged. God won't fail you even when you fail him. God will not fail you even when you fail him. If you study other religions and their gods, you'll discover that only Christianity offers this final recovery step. Everything is a merit base. If you haven't done enough good, you're not going to get into heaven. God says, I know you're going to fail. That's why I came to go to the cross to cover your sins. You just have to come into a relationship with me. That will never fail for you. As I said earlier, failure occurred in the lives of every single one of the disciples of Jesus. Men handpicked by God. But God never failed them never once just like it was true for peter just like it's true for you he is never going to fail you either the bible says in 1st Thessalonians 5:24 god will make this happen for he who calls you is faithful we have a promise in 2nd 2 Timothy 2:13 2, if we are faithless he remains faithful for he cannot deny himself let me conclude with a story that spoke to me a friend of mine this pastor shared this story about a pastor by the name of Brownlow North who was an evangelist in England in the 1800s. He was quite a teacher and quite a preacher. But he was one of those guys that didn't come to know Christ until later in life, which meant he had a past. What's interesting is, is he was invited by the huge church in Aberdeen to come and speak one Sunday. The problem is, is that Aberdeen was very close to where he grew up or his past Was there, so as he put his on his best suit and sat in the front row, an older woman in the congregation heard that he was coming to her. He was coming to her church, and she knew about his past, and so she wrote a letter and listed out in bullet points what he had done. And so the Sunday came, the service is starting, and she walks up and sees him and puts that letter in his lap and goes back and stands at the back of the church. And he opens up the letter. And he sees that. As the introduction was given, he quickly walked up on stage. He addressed the huge crowd that day and said, I was going to start my message another way. But uh, instead, I'd like to read you a letter. And he read it word for word. And he said, All of these things in here, it's all true. And there's much, much more that could be written about my past. And my failures. And what I'd love to do for you today is tell you about the God who has changed my life and has made me who I am today. See, Brownlow North, people like Peter, people like you and me have to remember that failure is an event. Maybe it's plural, but it's not a person. And that God can use your failures as a great tool for Him. And we looked at all the other recovery steps this morning. And my hope, my prayer for you is that your faith would not fail because of your past failures, but you would hold on to what God's truth says about you and find freedom there.